Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, and we're going through a study of Amos. Amos was a prophet, but Amos was also a shepherd, and he was also a tender of sycamore trees, or at least fig trees of some sort, and uh, or at least that's what it seems to be saying, but he was a poet. Uh, that was one of the interesting things about Amos is that in the original Hebrew text, it's very clear that he is writing poetry. Uh, there's kind of a homily approach to uh, to the text, and uh, he pulls uh, idioms and uh, uh, almost allegories in, in numerous ways and. As we're going through the text of Amos, we've done the first part of Amos uh, last week. But as we go through it, there are certain things I'm not telling you about the text of Amos. So you may get a certain impression from the words that we see in the translated Bible, because that's what we're looking at. We're not looking at the actual Hebrew poetry. We're looking at the uh, English translation of it and anytime you try to translate uh, any text from the original language there are problems because there aren't always words in the in the new language that correspond exactly with the words in the other language this is increasingly difficult if you're dealing with poetry because words have already been chosen in the poetry to fit uh, certain patterns and uh, express certain meanings, and in that, I mean, you you literally read poetry with a different part of your mind. Uh, there was a famous country western singer who had a terrible stutter, and uh, he couldn't hardly get words out sometimes. But if he sang, he didn't stutter, and it's because when he was singing, he was using a different part of his brain that did not have that stuttering defect. And, uh, of course, a lot of people talk about Moses being slow of speech. But uh, he he spoke poetry as well. The Song of Moses it was supposed to be a poem, a song uh, that was dictated to him on Mount Nebo and given to uh, the people by his reciting the poem to the whole Assembly, which would have been quite a job in itself. Uh, and I, I was always curious, okay, when you're reciting this poem or this song of Moses, did you stutter if that was his speech defect? Supposedly, that's what we are assuming, that he was slow of speech, meant that he had this difficulty in speaking, and it may have been a stutter. Maybe. Some of that's conjecture. Uh, you can't, you don't want to really make that a matter of faith, but certainly there was reference to some sort of problem with his speech. So, the problem is with the Song of Moses is that it was supposedly not written down in the original Deuteronomy text. 
it was supposedly written down later, inserted in at a place in Deuteronomy. I think it was Deuteronomy 32. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was 32. At least uh, most of that chapter. Uh, I think somewhere towards the end, about the last nine verses, it's not a part of the poem. But uh, it's believed by many scholars both Jewish and Christian scholars, that uh, it was, the text was the original text as recorded because it was passed down orally, but it was eventually recorded by Samuel and inserted in the text so that it would be a matter of, you know, this is, this is the song because it wasn't in the original text. But it definitely says, if you go back to the earlier chapters, it talks about him reciting it to the people. So there was a poem. It was recited. And eventually it was inserted in the text so that you would have a copy of the Song of Moses. And that's kind of important because to, to understand the message of the Song of Moses, know that it was written or anything, is not as important, but uh, to understand the message is extremely important because it's the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb which appeared to be in agreement because Moses and, and Jesus, who was the Lamb, were in agreement. It is that song that the 144,000 must learn. Now, of course, these are metaphors and allegories and uh, uh, symbolic, but they're these symbols often manifest themselves in truth and reality. So, do you, you know, can you, you people talk about the songs they sing in their churches? And uh, Amos talks about the songs they sing in the temple. Eventually, he's going to tell us that they're, they're no good. They're, they're bad. They're, they're, they're screaming and yelling. They're, they're, they're not, they're not pleasing sounds to God. And, uh, it's because the priests and prophets of that time, the people that they, the, the people looked to for answers and truth, did not know the song of the Lamb or the song of Moses. And so, eventually, when we go and we study Deuteronomy, and we go through that. Hopefully we will bring Amos into a broader light. And this is what is so important in poetry. They do this all the time where they uh, they will mention a particular word or a particular phrase that is connected to something else in literature. And it, the more you know about all those other things, the richer that poetry will become. Because it's, instead of explaining out in long prose some particular idea just by mentioning a particular name or place or word, you bring that, that fuller understanding into the text of the poem. And, uh, so we, we might read some poetry before we're done with Amos, but just want you to know that Amos itself was poetry. Just last night, uh, I was, uh, I actually, when I was working in here, I was playing, uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, a, a translation of Dante's Divine Comedy that he wrote near the time of his death. 
uh, I was playing it in the background as I was going through the text of Amos, trying to get my notes all together on the full Amos, so that when, so that we can, I will drop hints along the way. Like I say, I won't explain everything as we go, but I will drop hints along the way as to where we are going. And of course, Amos does the same thing, but you won't catch the hints because you don't know the text in which the text of history in which Amos is speaking. The kingdom was already divided into the north and south. And he was, you know, like coming from the south to preach in the north and they were saying, go tell this somewhere else and they, he wasn't being well accepted and um, which is often the way it is with a prophet. Uh, there are some people who don't accept what I have to say. <laughs> Not that I'm saying I'm a prophet, but uh i am a watchman and uh that was that's that's my job description uh and so i see certain things that other people seem to be missing and so i want to share them with you and so that's why we have these programs that's why we have the websites preparing you and hisholychurch.org uh where you can go and you can see those things that i'm sharing with you for free no charge just like the Sermon on the Mount, there was no charge. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Judas Iscariot might have wanted to sell tickets, but the reality is, no, it was free of charge. But it does cost you something to hear the truth. To, to really hear the truth, it costs you your delusions. And like I say, most of the information that we give you is to help you set down what you already think is true that just ain't so. And so... As we go through Amos, I wanted you to understand that it's a poem. It's it's a age-old prophetic message. You'll find it in lots of other locations in the Bible, just as you'll find in the text of Deuteronomy that is supposed to be the song of Moses. You'll you'll see references to other things in history, other things in the biblical text, and unless somebody points them out, you may not know. And uh, we're going to get into the fact that, you know, if you don't really understand what the altars of clay and stone were, you're not going to really understand what the problem with with uh, Israel and Judea and the north and southern kingdoms at that particular time in history. If you don't know that they were not to have a king. Now, God knew they'd probably end up going for a king and told them how to write a constitution and everything. And that was in Deuteronomy, in the original text, Deuteronomy 17. Most people, certainly the people who wrote the Constitution of the United States, did not know that that's what it was saying there in Deuteronomy 17. That you were to have these five items in your constitution for it to be a biblical document, you know, biblically conforming document. Well, they didn't have those five items. They didn't have four of the items. They didn't have uh, uh, the the details of it. And then the one item they did put in that, you know, sort of put in that they was included in those five items they don't pay attention to. They ignore but that's what eventually happens when you create offices of power, men who seek power, 
seek office. Well, men who seek power aren't always seeking the truth. And so they will become liars and liars will be ruled by liars. And that's what the problem is today is that we have begun to believe a lie. And one of the major lies that we believe, we're not going to go into it heavy, is that you can save yourself through your own efforts. You know, and I, I hear that all the time. People say, oh, you know, you're not saved by works. You're not saved by thought either. You can't just think a thought and save yourself. You don't have the power to save yourself with a thought or save yourself with magic words. You say, you know, like I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Anybody can say that. Liars say it every day. They don't really accept Jesus, the Christ, as their personal Savior. They accept the image of Jesus in their mind as their personal Savior. How do you know who has really accepted Jesus into their heart as their personal Savior? Not when they say they have. That isn't proof. Because they could be liars. The proof is in what they do. James tells us that. Peter tells us that. Paul tells us that. In the New Testament, they're all telling us that it, it, it's what you do that is evidence of your faith. And of course, faith is probity. It is the, the thing that compels you to do what you do. So if you really have faith in Jesus, you will keep his commandments. That's what John says. He talks about being born again, but he also says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It doesn't say you'll try to keep my commandments. It says you will keep his commandments. If you're not keeping the commandments... Well, that's evidence that you're lacking love of Christ. You don't really love him. You, you, and if you don't really love him, if you're hateful, if you're angry, if you're full of judgment, if you're full of fear, which is Christ to say is fear not, he also told you not to be angry with your brother. Why? Because these things will block the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to keep the commandments. You will be sucked away with not only winds of doctrines, but emotions and desires and wantonness and lasciviousness and all those things mentioned in the Bible, <laughs> in the New Testament. And then eventually you will, through your covetous practices, become merchandise and curse your children. Which, if you've been watching the news, is pretty much what's already happened. And, of course, that's what had already happened at the time of Amos. And Amos came along to let the people know what had happened, but also let them know what is inevitably going to happen because you went that wrong way. And you're going to cry out, just like Samuel said, but God's not going to hear you when you cry out. You will try to dig yourself out, climb out of the hell you dug yourself into, according to Amos, and you will not be able to do so. So what can you do so that you will be able to come out of the hell you've dug yourself into? What 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 can you do so that God will hear your voice when you cry out, so that he will come and reach out and save you in the same way that he is reaching out to condemn you. See, God has built into the system the wine press of God, the wrath of God. It's built in. You go down this road, this is what's going to happen. 
Now, you want to not go down that road. You do not want to suffer the consequences of going down that road. You have to repent, think differently, and you have to go back the way you came. You can't just fill out some paperwork or or say some magic words or uh, join some church and then you're automatically saved. That would be you saving yourself. That would be you climbing out to heaven on your own after digging yourself into hell. You can't do that. God will bring you out, but what do you do so God will hear your cries and reach out and pull you out of the Babylonic pit you've dug for yourselves? Well, you didn't listen to God to begin with. That's how you got to where you're at. You were slothful in the ways of righteousness. That's how you got to where you're at. You were engaged in covetous practices. So you have to do all those things in reverse. Now, you want to be heard? You have to hear the cries of others. You you want to make recompense for your covetous practices? You have to do the reverse of covetous practices. Now you have to do charitable practices. You want to have God reach out and protect you to put his basra, his fortress around you, then you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You have to put yourself at risk for others. And the best way to do that, at least according to what it seems to me that Christ is saying is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like the early church was organized, like Christ commanded the early ministers to organize the church, to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in these ranks of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and start a daily ministration of, for, and by the people. That's the government of, for, and by the people where the people choose on a day-to-day basis to take care of one another when there is true need, in a way that strengthens the poor. If you don't do that, if you consent with sinners and decide to have one purse, like socialism and communism, then you, you run towards death. You will be trapped in the very net that you have set for your fellow man. And that's one of the things that the prophets are telling us, that they hunt their neighbor with their brother, with a net. They try to get them all into the same system, the the one purse. That's what Proverbs calls this, consenting with sinners. There where you say, let's all have one purse, lurk privately for blood. Find that Proverbs. And you're captured in the very net. Now you want out of the net. Well, God has shown us the way out of the net. Moses showed us. Ezekiel showed us. And in that song of Moses, you'll see uh, patterns of language and idioms that uh, match the the uh, prophets of uh, Ezekiel. And uh, let's see, I was trying to think of where the... 
particular verses were that show that pattern. I know you also see it at the beginning of Isaiah, verses 1 and 2, which are similar to Deuteronomy 32, 1, which is supposed to be the Song of Moses. But you also see it in Psalms 50, and uh, in verse 1. And Psalms 50 and verse 4. Different different places in the Bible you will see these same patterns. Because they, these these guys read the Bible. These guys were... Uh, and they read other texts that were available at the time. And so you, they, they will use... They will... By, because of their language, they will use certain parts of these uh, texts... So that you can uh, see the, you know, in the prose of Ezekiel, like Ezekiel 29, you will see the same uh, uh, resemblance to uh, what we also see in Psalms 78 and 105 and 106. And uh, you'll see also in Ezekiel 26 and 33. And, and when you, but you have to go back, well, you wouldn't, Completely, but it, it it helps if you actually know Hebrew and you're going back to those ancient languages and you're looking at those patterns. One of the things I was pointing out this morning just before the program is that uh, in certain parts of Amos, there isn't hardly a word in a particular verse that does not have extra letters added unto well, like we see in uh, Amos 9 the very first verse he says I see except he doesn't have the normal word for I see <laughs> well he does have the normal word I mean it is there in the text but uh, he has added an additional letter and uh, the the original word for I see is Resh Elif Hay it's those three letters put together. Resh is this authority, this, this, you know, like Resh Resh, Shin Resh Resh is this word for like governmental authority. Everybody has Shin Resh. You have Shin Resh. You have that personal authority. And that's how, when you give that personal authority to the government, usually through covenants and contracts and application, then it has it's resh and your resh. It gets to make decisions as to what is good and evil for you, because you've gone under its authority. Paul wouldn't go under its authority, but most Christians today have gone under such authorities because they wanted the benefits of those governments. So, in the word to see, which is important in the exercise of that resh, we see the two letters elif resh. Elif is Man and God connected to each other. And so, but Amos uses Resh Elif He Tov because he sees in faith. And that's what you need to do is see in faith when we read through Amos, which we will begin right after this break. So be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in Amos 1, there's the introduction of Amos as this shepherd. And clearly he is a prophet as well. But he was uh, sent 
to tell the people of their repeated transgressions, and he did so in this book of Amos, which is this poem about uh, the transgressions, the repeated transgressions of the people. And eventually he talks about the consequences of those transgressions. And he uses a lot of what appears to be place names, and like we said, and and we've gone, and you can go to the notes at preparing you.com and, and look at the site panels on Amos and uh, we we tell you what some of these different words that seem like places that are actually representing spiritual vices and virtues of society and we don't go through every single one of them but you can look them up yourself ultimately we want you to be as inspired by faith as Amos and because that is what makes you a peculiar people. There's a lot of people that are peculiar, but they're not Christ's peculiar people, God's peculiar people, because they're not really doing what God said to do. They think they are, you know, they'll, you know, we see this with a lot of people who are Messianic uh, Jews, or, or Jewish Christians, or whatever you want to call them where they're going back and following the Torah, what they think is the Torah. And this is why I was saying in the first part of the show that you need to understand what Moses was really telling the people, not what the Pharisees were telling the people that Moses told the people, because the Pharisees got it wrong. They had turned, you uh, you know, we have an article on breaches, on that the people were supposed to sew the underwear of the Levites. And so I assume that some Orthodox Jews are actually sewing the underwear for the Levites uh, because they have interpreted this statement to mean actually get linen cloth and sew underwear. And they think they are doing what they're supposed to be doing by doing that, but these are metaphors, and the, the, it doesn't really have anything with making his underwear and going up by steps has nothing to do with going up a steep stairways or a ladder. It's not about that. These they're trying to express ideas, and in Amos one they talk about the that they they go into captivity of Edom and. Uh, don't remember the brotherly covenant. And when I went through lots of the commentaries to see what other people think Amos is trying to say, many of them are thinking that the brotherly covenant is a covenant between David and another king. But no, brotherly covenant is the covenant of love that we're supposed to have for one another. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Moses said it. Jesus said it. And the way in which to do that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and create a daily administration entirely dependent upon faith, hope, and charity. Which is what the early church did. It's what early Israel did. And that is what Abraham did when he set up his altars of clay and stone with all those people round about him. He was showing them how to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I don't really care if it's the nines and nineties and nine hundreds. These are 
There's a reason they use the number 10. 10 has a meaning in the Hebrew. And of course, 100 is just 10 times 10. And uh, there's a reason why in the New Testament, when God, uh, when Jesus commands that God wants his ministers to make the people sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands, uh, that he mentioned fifties because there was 5,000 men in their families. So each family represents one of those ten. And so ten families makes this free assembly of congregations. And the minister's job is to connect those ten families with another ninety families. And since they had five thousand, they used the, the term fifties. Because you had ten times fifty times a hundred, you're getting into five thousand. So anyway, the, this is the way the early church organized. It's the way early Israel organized. And the job of the Levites was to belong to God, for one thing. And this set them separate, which is what we call holy. It just means they were separate. But they had a particular function to help bring all the people together in a voluntary, intentional community operating by faith, hope, and charity. They don't use the word charity in the Old Testament. They use the word free will offering. Same thing. The world takes care of the needy of society, and they may set up tens, hundreds, and thousands, but it's top down, and they force the contributions of the people, and they provide a benefit that way. That's the reverse of the kingdom of God. If you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God, you will be seeking that system that operates by faith, hope, and charity in every aspect of your life. Healthcare, education, welfare. All that should be done by faith, hope, and charity. If it's not, what will happen is all the things that Amos is going to talk about. There's going to be a breakdown of the family and a weakening of society and the community and it will not be able to resist tyrants. Same thing that Polybius talked about 150 years before Christ. He said that to come, he basically was saying to covetous practices you will degenerate and go under the sword of some tyrant. Because you became accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, you, you will institute this, institute this rule of force and violence, forcing the contributions of your neighbors so that you can have free stuff. But it's not free. It comes at the price of your liberty. If you want your liberty back, you have to go back the other way. You have to go back to that system of charity, that system of love, that system of faith and hope. And this is why he will say eventually in chapter 9 that you cannot climb out of the pit you dug yourself into. This is what is meant by you cannot be saved by works. But you're saved by faith. But faith will cause you to live by charity and love. Faith in Christ will mandate in your heart and in your mind that you live by love rather than force. You will live by hope rather than fear. This is what repentance brings about. 
And this, of course, is what Amos is trying to tell them. And this restores the brotherly covenant that they could not remember. You think Trump is your salvation? You think that some president or prime minister is your salvation? The solution to the problems of the day? That's what salvation is. Salvation is the ultimate solution. No, your solution is to repent and go back to the brotherly covenant. And the brotherly covenant is binding you by faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and fealty. If you if you seek to go back that way, which is seeking the righteousness of God, seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, you will still need God to come out and be your Basra, to to give you a way through the Red Sea. But unless you start to do that, Repent enough to compel the starting of doing that and sitting down in that tens, hundreds, and thousands and trying to form that network of love and charity. You're not saved. You're just under a strong delusion. You've believed a lie that you can save yourself with a thought, with a phrase. You cannot do that. So Amos 2 is is where we're at now and we're going to be going through that. We might as well just jump right into the text. And we see in verse 1 it says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and of four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. Verse 2, But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palace of Kerioth. And Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and I will slay all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Judah. So we went from transgressions of Moab down to transgressions of Judah. And again, these words have meaning and, uh, and they are representing actually forms of transgressions. Now, this, uh, and again, the reason why he repeats this over and over again, and you'll see him repeating this, is because this is a poem. It's like stanzas, where he's going back and repeating them. And uh, and you see these different uh, uh, references to first to Moab, then to Judah. And uh, he goes on, we might as well just read through this a little bit, and then we'll come back and look at some of this. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord. They're, they, they're not keeping the commandments. They're not living by faith, hope, and charity and loving one another. They're living by other means. Now, you have to remember that this is 
This is all coming about when the, the nation has already been divided because a large number of them wanted to have a king. Now, some of them repented of having that king, and they asked, you know, to to release us. Let us go back to our own tents. See, they, they come from the city because they come from the civil structure that they created in order to have that king. That's what that they're talking about. And uh, they asked the king, Rehoboam, let us, let us go. Give us back our freedom. That we, they're, they're bound under this king. And Rehoboam says, you know, he consults with his cohorts and he says, uh, my father whipped you with whips, I shall whip you with scorpions. And some of them said, what is David to us? And they went back to their tents. They didn't go back to their cities. They went back to their tents. And that's the tents of each family. Gathered together in a free assembly. And so now you had some that stayed with the king. And some that went back to their tents. For a variety of reasons. And motivations. But the kingdom was now divided. And it was now two kingdoms. And so now we're... This, they're in a state of sin. They have rejected God. It, it's, remember back in Samuel 8 where he says, it's not because they've rejected you, Samuel, because they're going to Samuel and say, give us a king. But it's because they have already rejected me. So, if you have a king, a, a president, a prime minister, a ruler who can exercise authority one over the other, you need to consider the fact that you have already rejected God. Now, you may be under that king, prime minister, president, or ruler. And you may be bound in debt under that ruler. You may have all kinds of obligations and you may owe him fealty. You may no longer have your personal wealth. You may have set up some sort of central bank like the golden calf was. You may have already done that. Of course, we know you have. <laughs> so, uh, the reality is, is now you have a choice before you. You can say, what is George Washington to me? <laughs> what is FDR to me? And you can go out and be separate. Well, if you're isolated and separate, you're, you're just a scattered flock. You're like the, the lamb I talked about years and years ago that just kept running off into the desert. I mean, it ran from the herd, just like a beeline. And I still had my irrigation boots on, and I had run all the way around that lamb, <laughs> get around the other side of that lamb, and bring it back to the herd. And the third time he ran up the hill, I mean, we're talking, I'm out on the desert. I'm not, you know, on some sort of fence field. He just ran out on the desert, ran across a dirt road, and just headed off into where there was no roads. And the third time he ran up there, you know, I'd been out since 5 o'clock. I'd run miles already in rubber boats. I just waved goodbye. Because that was three transgressions, even four. <laughs> and there's no bringing him back. And I never, ever saw that lamb again. Uh, he became, you know, some sort of coyote hors d'oeuvre. And... uh 
because he didn't make it. I, I do not know what possessed him to do that, but I see this every day. I do not know what possessed the people to run off on their own and say, I am free. I remember a guy once said, I'm freeing one Israelite at a time. You know, he had some sort of uh, paperwork. You know, you fill out this paperwork and you send these documents in and you're going to be free from this system of bondage. I said, Moses did not free men one at a time. He went through the famines and taught the people how to come together and help one another during the famines and the pestilence. And they not only helped themselves, but they helped the Egyptians, which is why the Egyptians showered them with gifts. Now, the government hated them. (laughs) They said, you know, they weren't called out of Egypt. They were kicked out of Egypt. But... uh, they had to learn the ways of liberty first. And this is your opportunity. You've already found out what bondage is like. Now you need to find out what liberty is like. Now a lot of people don't want to think they're in bondage. They want to think they're free. But you have to remember, in Egypt, you owe 20% of your labor to the government. They had a right to take 20% of your labor in one form or another because you had agreed one-fifth goes to the government. So if you're in any kind of situation like that, in any country, Sweden, Australia, China, uh, you know, South America, Africa, if you're in any of those situations where the government has a right to take as much as 20% of your labor away from you, before you even get it maybe, you're in the bondage of Egypt. They may be worse for you. They might be able to take 30% of your labor away. But you're in the bondage of Egypt. That's just the way it is. And uh, you don't want to admit that. Well, you're under a strong delusion. You've believed a lie that you're free when you're not really free. You don't own all your labor. In truth, you don't own all your land, you don't own your kids, etc. And we've got lots of articles that show you that they say that. I'm not making it up. That's their rules. Now, I'm not telling you to be unfriendly with this unrighteous mammon, this entrusted wealth where your land, your children, yourselves are all become merchandise, human resources in a system. I'm not telling you to betray that. I'm telling you to be friends with the unrighteous mammon, just like Christ said. But I'm telling you to think differently. Repent. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Amos is telling you about people that have gone back into that bondage. Now, it's not a secret that they're in that bondage. Because we've already gone through Samuel... We've already gone through Rehoboam, uh, who kept the people in the, the system of bondage where he could force the sacrifices of the people. Now, the king can force the sacrifices of the people, like Saul did, but then men like Samuel can come along and say, you know, FDR, you're foolish to do this. You know, LBJ, you're foolish to do this. You know, Donald Trump, you're foolish to do this. We can tell them that. But uh, they can still do it. But as Amos is saying, you cannot escape the consequences. 
consequences are built into the system. If you pursue a system of social welfare through force, fear, and fealty, it will destroy the family. And we know that. We can look at the history of the black community that was targeted by Cloward and Piven. We have an article up that explains all this, shows you the history of it. It's a matter of record that the black family went from 3% of the children being raised in single-parent families back at the turn of the century, 40 years after slavery, to 60 and 75% of the children in the black community being raised by single-parent families. And this progression towards that began in earnest with LBJ's war on poverty in his great society. It had already begun back with FDR and his system of social welfare through the government, which is force. Because you stopped being the government of the people and became the government of bureaucracies. Same thing was going on in Judah at this time. And so Amos says in verse 4, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not turn away from the punishment thereof. Because it's built into the system. Because they have despised the law of the Lord. They have coveted each other's goods. They have sought a king, a ruler, rejected God, and have not kept the commandments. That you're not to make covenants with the gods of the world. You're supposed to live by faith, hope, and charity. And their lies caused them to err, after which their fathers have walked. It didn't just begin with this generation. It's been going on for a hundred years. Because, you know, I'm quoting back to FDR. That's that's almost a hundred years ago. We can go back to Woodrow Wilson when he set up the Golden Calf. I mean, excuse me, the Federal Reserve. <laughs> so, you get it. If you think the golden calf was about building a statue and dancing girls dancing around it, you're under a strong delusion because you don't know history. Golden calf, go read our article on golden calf. City-states all over the place had golden statues and they called it the reserve fund. And occasionally they would saw off a limb and melt it down to make coins to pay the army. They didn't like doing that because it's dipping into the treasury. People say, oh, you know, they're, they're pilfering our social security fund. There's no division of funds. We explain that too. But right now we're trying to get you through Amos. And he says, after that you walk the ways of your father and these covetous practices, but I will send a fire upon Judah. Well, that's what he was going to do to Moab. Well, what's Moab? You can go look up Moab and find out what's, what's the meaning of that word Moab. You've got to be seeking, you get into the habit of seeking the kingdom. I'm not going to hand everything to you. And it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Israel. Now you've got to remember the kingdom is divided into the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And the kingdom of Israel, who's the king? In the kingdom of Judah, who's the king? Well, we always talked about Jeroboam the second in the previous deal. So who's the king in Moab? 
Now, Moab is a place. Judah was a kingdom. Israel was a form of government that you could call a kingdom. But the transgressions were not limited to one. They're all doing the same thing. They're all setting up the same types of systems. A little different. But the consequences are going to be the same. This fire is going to come and devour them. Even the palaces of Jerusalem. But in this verse 6, it says, Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Israel and for four. I will not turn away this punishment because it's built in. So what are they going to say the palaces of Jerusalem for Israel? No. They're going to say something different. But we'll have to look at that in the next half of the show. So come back to find out where Amos is telling the people that they are going to have to go. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're in verse 6 where we're looking at this transgression of Israel as opposed to the transgressions of Judah and the transgressions of Moab. Now, that because of the fact that this is repetitious in this poem of this transgressions of three and even four, that there is already these, all three of these things are bound together, but they're all a little bit different, coming from a little bit different point of view, different location, different idea. What is Moab? I mean, even the word Egypt, you know, we talk about returning to the bondage of Egypt. Well, what you just said is actually returning to the bondage of bondage because Egypt meant bondage. That's what it meant to them. Just like Moses, they called Moses Moses because he was drawn from the water. They explained that. Well, Tutan Moses was called Tutan Moses because he was the ruler of Egypt. Moses was not called Moses because he was the ruler of Egypt. He was called Moses because he was drawn from the water. And they make that, the fact that they make that distinction is trying to show you why they called him Moses. You know, in the, in the movie Moses with, uh, with Charlton Heston, uh, the Ten Commandments, there's a scene in there where the people are yelling, Moses, Moses. <laughs> well, those are the people of Egypt calling him Moses because he was this, divine ruler of the people and this military commander-in-chief of the army and the rightful heir to the throne of Egypt. And uh, which is actually the case of the movie wasn't exactly accurate. But, uh, uh, but the people of Israel, when they left Egypt, they left the bondage of where they now owned 100% of their labor. And they were now free souls under God and had formed this republic, this government of God where the leaders were titular. They could not force the contributions of the people like Saul did, like like Pharaoh did, like Caesar does, like FDR and LBJ do. They were actually a free society where they still had enemies and they had to come together and defend one another. They often had to defend one another against injustices in their own community where some individual just robbed his neighbor or broke into his neighbor's house. And there was a hue and cry in the society so that if somebody said, somebody broke in, everybody would be looking for the thief. Well, we had somebody broke into the local store here. It was a hitchhiker going down the road. 
and they had broke into a house uh, about a mile from the store or half a mile from the store broke in the back door nobody lived in the house and nobody knew they broke in at first and they took a few things but there wasn't much of value that they could take and they were backpacking it hitchhiking down the road and then they came to the store and they broke into the store a glass window in the front door and they broke that glass window in I repaired the window <laughs> And uh, they sold some cigarettes and uh, headed down the road. Well, they were picked up in Paisley eventually. And uh, evidently, been a she was in her 40s and had been a showgirl in Las Vegas at one time. And now she was just broke and hitchhiking and and just down on her luck. Well, she got free meals in jail. And I don't know whatever happened to her. Eventually, she was let out, and she probably had friends somewhere. But the community, they all knew. You know, like, oh, well, who they they knew wasn't one of them. And so they were saying, oh, well, we saw this person, and, oh, we found this door Jimmy didn't. We, you know, they put it all together, and they solved the crime. I mean, the police didn't. You know, the police are 75 miles away. <laughs> so, but there's a hue and cry. At least a little bit of it left in this community. We're losing it fast because of the fact that uh, we have at least three transgressions against us as well, and even four. And so the consequences is that people don't care as much about what's going on in their neighbor. You know, and if you if you say, somebody robbed me, they say, well, you better call the police. I Have a nice day. But no, people came out and they, they resolved the issue. And we're getting farther and farther in the communities of the cities. People are sometimes stabbed to death in the middle of the street with dozens of witnesses and nobody does a thing. They, they disappear. That's, I tell that story of when I was in police work or I was still in charge of a security company and I had to go out and arrest somebody on the same street as uh, George Floyd and uh, all the people who I was defending who had been brutalized by this individual, they disappeared. As a matter of fact, just about everybody disappeared but rioters on the street. <laughs> and I was all alone till the regular police showed up. And it was that incident that, you know, I was about to join the Cottage Grove Police Department, but it was that incident that decided I didn't want to be in police work. Because the people don't care. So now I'm in the work of trying to get you to learn to care again. To care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Care about your neighbor's rights as much as you care about yourself. And if you really did that to get you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded, would be an easy job. (laughs) But it seems like herding cats because you're no longer men. You become as independent as a stray cat. And you're just going to do your own thing. And that's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching to do Christ's thing. So anyway, we see in this verse 6, where the transgressions of Israel, having been three or even four, he says, I will, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes that pant 
after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon cloths laid to pledge by every altar and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. That's small g God. And that's that's verse 8. And if you actually go back and look at the Hebrew of the verse 8 and you have to remember Amos is what we're reading in, in Amos is not the only thing that Amos has said. He's, he's gone and talked to the priests of Jeroboam. And they don't like him. And he's telling them that destruction is coming because they're going this wrong way. And this is the poem about the wrong way they're going. If you don't understand the context of history, why are the rulers of Judah, the princes of Judah, going to suffer this consequences, but they're not really making mention of the princes of Israel. But they are making mention of the, I mean, the princes of Israel was every man in his house. That's that's the real princes of Israel. They They went back to their own tents. So these princes of Israel... They're not doing things right. They're talking about there's a lot of fornication going on. There's uh, there's uh, sons and fathers that are, and there's evidently you know that God that they're talking about. That's a small g God. So they've got something going on in their society where they're they're injuring the poor and. But they, in this verse 8, they talk about taken in pledge. Cloths, they lay on cloths, taken in pledge. Pledge for what? They lie down on these cloths. I mean, I mean, the word for pledge, if you go back to the Hebrew word for pledge, it's Chet Beit Lamat. Chabal, they say it is. That's the letter, that's the word for pledge. And, you know, each of those words have a meaning. Be it has to do with household. There's a meaning to chat. And Lamad has to do with the hand. So it has to do, you know, I mean, when you take a pledge, what do you do? You raise your right hand. You make a commitment of your hand to a particular task. I'm going to do this. And now you're making a commitment that is going to involve your whole household in this pledge. This is how, this is why on the cover of the covenants of the gods, which is all about the pledges you've taken in order to get benefits, we see the Pied Piper leading your children away. Because ultimately that's what they want. They want your children. They, they want the life, your, your inheritance. So that your children, they don't want your children alive. They, they want, they want to inherit the earth. They don't want you to inherit the earth. So anyway, but this word taking the pledge, which is Chet, be it Lamad, 
in this text, we don't see those letters. We see Be'et and Lamad in there, but we also see at the beginning of that word, Hey, Be'et, Lamad, Yad, Mim. So they've added added letters and taken letters away, but we still see them translating it, taking in pledge. It means something more. Even Even the cloth that they lay down on is... I mean, normally that's, that's, uh, be it Gimel Delet for, you know, uh, supposedly, uh, this, this cloth. But that's not the word we see there. <laughs> we actually see, and then that's not actually, I mean, they translate it cloth, but the word that they, uh, actually are seeing there that is, uh, be it Gimel uh, Delet is the word for treachery. They just translate it cloth. And, and, and it's translated garment and, and a lot of translations, etc. But the actual definition of the word Delet, be it, uh, or excuse me, be it Delet, no, be it Gimel Delet. I gotta remember these. Got a picture of them in my head. Um, is, Actually, the word for treachery. And it's not even the word that you actually see in the text. You see, be it Gimel Delet, but you also see the additional letters of Yod Mim added onto that. So this is the flow of treachery in your dealings with your neighbor is destroying and, and actually creating poor people. And... Uh, so that you've sold the righteous for silver. Your wealth has become more important to you. You've forgotten the covenant of, of, of the brethren, of, of loving your brother. And you, you've sold your righteousness to get silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. And uh, you pant for the dust of the earth. And... And that actually, that actually is a reference that goes all the way back to the Garden of Paradise. What happened to, to the dragon, to the serpent, who is trying to get the people to lose the inheritance? Because man had dominion of the earth. And, and the serpent wanted man to lose that dominion. Remember the first commandment was to dress it and keep it, to keep the dominion of the earth. But the serpent wants you to lose the dominion of the earth. So what happened to the serpent? Because he tricked man. I mean, man committed his own sin, but he was full of deception and lies. Is that he had to lick the dust of the earth. And uh, you, you're you licking the dust of the earth on the head of the poor. at the At the cost of the poor is what you're doing. And if you went back to that verse 7 and looked at at the Hebrew language in that verse and the extra letters, Amos is just full of extra letters. It's got extra letters all over. The word pant. There's six letters in the word pant. What they're translating as pant. But normally, it's only shin, elif, phi. That's normally the, the letters that you see there. But they have a hey at the beginning. And the shin elephi. And another yod mem on the end. 
while we were just talking to you about the Yad Mim that they added on the end of the other. So, again, Yad is this divine spark and Mim is this flow. So, it's extremely complex to go back and read Amos in the original Hebrew because he's adding all these extra ideas to almost every letter. I mean, every word. And you find the, 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 the be it, which stands for household, in many more words than it should be there. I mean, like even the, the word sword, like I said it, uh, in verse 9, uh, normally ends in be it, but in, in Amos, it begins and ends with be it. Because it's your families that are at stake. And w- when we look at this, the, this new great reset that is coming, and advocating and, and has unleashed Black Lives Matter, which is just a communist organization, doesn't have anything to do. They don't really care that black lives don't matter to them. As a matter of fact, uh, the blacks are going to take a terrible toll because of the direction that Black Lives Matter is taking society. But they're, they state as their goal to destroy the family. The dragon wants to destroy the family. The, the evil wants to destroy the family. They want to get the inheritance of your family. And, uh, they want you dead. And, and this is built into the system that this is the way they're gonna go. Your opportunity is to repent, start thinking differently, start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, start doing what the early church was doing, what early Israel was doing before it went into the apostasy of a kingdom. And that's what we're telling you how to do. That's why we created the network so that you, we, we can't make you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but we can make it a requirement that you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands before you receive a daily ministration from us. And that's, of course, what the apostles were doing. This, this command to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands was at the loaves and fishes. And there was going to be no loaves and fishes until the people sat down. 5,000 men in their families sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Until they did that, there was no distribution of loaves and fishes. And so now you have your task set out before you by the gospel of kingdom. And Amos is telling you what the consequences are if you continue to reject the commandments of God. Which you have done. And so he shows what we know what Judah did is they set up a king. And the king forced contributions. And he whipped them with whips and whipped them with scorpions. Got them into battles. Made treaties. All these things that were forbidden. He had a professional army. Moab had been doing the same thing. But Israel was just, on an individual basis, they were slothful in the ways of righteousness. They had turned righteousness into silver. You know, they had sold their righteousness for silver. Silver is what they wanted, not righteousness. They were slothful in the ways of righteousness. So this is why you have to think differently and seek the righteousness of God. And he says that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek and a man and his father 
with will go unto the same maid to profane my holy name. Now, most of the adultery in the Bible is national adultery. And, of course, national adultery will probably lead to personal adultery. But adultery doesn't just have to do with, you know, uh, sexual relationships outside of marriage. It goes on and it says, They laid themselves down upon clothes, treachery, laid to pledge by every altar. What were altars? And they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Not the God. It's not the, this is what the Pharisees had done. They had turned the house of God into a den of thieves. They, they were setting up a different system. He goes on to say, yet destroyed I the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars and he was strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit from above, his roots from beneath, Also, I brought you up from the land of Egypt that was out of that bondage of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. So in that verse 11, it mentions Nazarite. Well, I have a a link to an article on what is the Nazarite. What is that? that? That's a whole concept. By adding that one word, he brought in a whole idea. The Amorite was these land of giants that he had brought down. He'd made them weak. Because why? Because they went the way of Moab. They went the way of Egypt. You know, shortly after the Israelites left Egypt, the Chaldeans overran Egypt. Because they became weak. Because they set up this system. The same kind of system we see Cloward and Piven bringing into the black community. This one purse that is a net. That what Paul says in the New Testament Quoting David in the Old Testament, what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. A net. And you're trapped in the net because you went hunting your brother with a net. Which is what people like Amos is telling us. In verse 12 it goes on to say, But ye gave the Nazarite wine to drink, and commanded the prophet, saying, Prophesy not. And that's of course what Amos is going to be told in the following chapters is that he wasn't to prophesy, but he does it anyway. And who are the Nazarites? What, what, what are the Nazarites supposed to be? They're supposed to be the guiding force. Christ was a Nazarite. He wasn't from Nazareth. He was a Nazarite. There was no Nazareth at that time. There's no mention of a Nazareth in writings of that time. It didn't exist as a town yet. He was a Nazarite. He was a part of a community of the Nazarites, which was actually Nazarite Essenes. But that's another story. The point is, who are your Nazarites today? It's these preachers that tickle your ears. 
And you, you give them money. You make them rich. And they become addicted to tickling your ears. You do the same thing with your doctors. You can tell people all kinds of things about this COVID shot and the COVID disease. You can give them the facts. You can give them the science. They don't, well, my doctor says I should get the shot. They're in our local hospital. There are shouting matches in the hallways between doctors about the shot. Some saying they want everybody to get it. They want to force people to get it. And the other one saying he doesn't even want his nurses to get it. Because he thinks it's bad. Two doctors arguing, shouting at each other in the corridor of the hospital about the shot. Some saying get it. Some saying not get it. Why? Because one of them is drunk on the wine of his position. And he's not looking at the science. And that's what you've done with your preachers. You've you've made them drunk by your sloth. Because you want to have your ears tickled. You go to this church to get your ears tickled. To hear their music. You don't want to hear the song of Moses. Or the song of the Lamb. You don't want to keep the commandments of the prophets. You don't want to do that. Because you have to take your responsibility back. You're not going to get your liberty back without taking back your responsibility. And if you don't go that way, you're not coming out of the hell you have dug yourself into. So in verse 13 he says, Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Sheaves are, you know, sheaves of wheat. Piles of wheat. Therefore, the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force. Neither shall the mighty deliver himself, which again is part of that which we'll see in chapter 9. You're not going to be able to dig yourself out with your own efforts, whether your efforts are paperwork or <laughs> or whatever. You You can only be saved by Christ. But you should have efforts. I mean, seeking the kingdom of God. Seeking is a word of effort. Strive, Christ says. That's a word of effort. Persevere. That's a word of effort. But it's not you saving yourself. It's you conforming to Christ. Even weeping will open the doors of righteousness to your mind and your heart. It is what is letting go of the evil that you have made a home for. You have been sleeping on treachery, depending upon treachery. You have forgotten the brotherly covenant. You don't take care of one another. You don't educate one, your, your neighbor's children through faith, hope, and charity. You do it through force and fear and fealty. Verse 15, Neither shall he stand that handeth the bow. And he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself, neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. So, what are you going to do? Well, we'll have to talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're looking at Amos, we're almost to the end of Amos, and we're trying to figure out what Amos is trying to tell us in his poem. What What is he trying to share with us? Because it's certainly a warning. 
that there is this destruction that is coming to Israel, to Judah, to Moab, and to all those people because of the fact that they have gone this particular way. You remember Abraham was setting up altars in all the communities around about him, and then there was these five kings who got together and formed this massive army, and they were going and taking city-states like Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, storming them and taking them and taking all the gold that they could get in there and they they would take slaves that they could get in there. They would abuse the people. They'd, they'd certainly leave some people behind, but they were taking anybody they thought was valuable and uh, maybe for their skills, maybe for their youth and strength and they were turning them into slaves to serve in their own communities. And... Uh, Abraham, overnight, raised an army from the people in his own camp. He had evidently at least 900 young men in his entourage, at least young men enough to be in the military. And uh, But that wasn't enough to stop five kings and destroy their army overnight. But he had all these other people that he'd been setting up these altars with. And they dropped what they were doing. And came to his aid in an organized fashion where they were in groups, small groups like platoons that formed battalions of soldiers uh, uh, that were well supplied by a network coming from home uh, in a private militia, literally a private militia, a militia. You know, by definition in America, if you go look up the code on militias, because there's actually a code that says the militia consists of every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45. So if you're between the ages of 17 and 45 and an able-bodied man, you're already a member of the militia. You don't have to join anything. That's the definition of the word. People people just don't understand it. People say, oh, militia. They think that it's some sort of group marching around in the woods and fatigues and guns. No, it's everybody between the ages of 17 and 45 who's a man and able body is already a member of the militia by statute. Not even counting tradition. But people are so ignorant today they don't even know that. So, What Abraham did was he took the militia, every able-bodied man, not only in his own household, in his own entourage, because see, he left Haran with many souls. So 900 young men, it could be 900 families in his group. Maybe it's only 500 and, you know, there's some brothers in there. But uh, 900 is still not enough to defeat that army. So he got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more that came from these other places where he was showing them how to set up these altars. So, if you're a foolish Christian or Jew, you might think that they were all united because they all piled up stones and burnt up sheep together. Because that's what you do with an altar, right? You pile up stones and you set sheep on fire. I mean, you've seen the pictures. No, that's not what the altars are. It's a system of social welfare based on faith, hope, and charity. And the perfect law of liberty. It's what Christ set up. Now, 
It's not what you got set up. You got churches where you go and listen to songs and sing and sermons and they tell you you're saved already and you can't lose your salvation no matter how much you sin and, and all this nonsense, this lie that they're teaching you. And you just have to accept this imaginary Jesus in your heart as your personal Savior. No wonder we got so many atheists running around if that's what God is all about. But no, no, the real Jesus wanted you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, commanded his disciples to make you do so, so that you could take care of one another in the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, through faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty, so that you remain at liberty. Because we know that Paul says, let every man remain subject to the higher liberty, because all liberty is of God, and there is no liberty but of God, and anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. I mean, Paul told us that. You know that, don't you? Don't you? Do you? Did you ever hear that before? Well, if you listen to us, you heard it. And we prove it. But nobody wants to hear that. Because liberty requires responsibility. It requires the courage that comes along with the responsibility. Which brings us to the last line of Amos, chapter 2, verse 16. And he that is courageous amongst the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. What happened when the soldiers and the servants of the Pharisees came to Gethsemane in the middle of the night? Did all those courageous apostles stand there with Jesus? Well, no. I mean, Peter, you know, pulled out his sword, but Jesus told him to put it away. He didn't tell him to throw it away. He said, put it away. You know, we're not doing that now. So put that away. He just told everybody they should have swords. If they didn't have a sword, they needed to go sell their coat and get one. One guy had two swords. But Christ is a man of peace. But he's not a foolish man of peace. He says, go ahead and have your sword. Let's not use that. Because if you survive because of the sword, then you probably will die because of the sword. Saul fell on his own sword. and Our enemy will fall on his sword. But I'm not telling you not to have a sword or gun or whatever. But he's telling us in verse 16 that those that are courageous, or at least think they're courageous amongst the mighty, the mighty of what? The mighty of Israel, the mighty of Judah, the mighty of Moab. But the mighty of those places are weak because they've degenerated, because they set up systems like the communists, like the, you know, uh, socialists that weaken the poor, like Sodom. The time of affluence, the sin of Sodom, was that they did not strengthen the poor. They weakened the poor. And, of course, we just heard Amos talking about how we lick the dust from the head of the poor. And and that, that we take advantage of the poor. But if we go, go to Amos and, and look at the original Hebrew... We say, and some translate it a little bit different. It says, the most strong. They don't say the courageous. They say the most strong. And the word that we see there that is 
supposedly translated courageous or the most strong or mighty is is uh, the word uh, elef mem yad tet I think it's tet or no it's tetic I think it's tetic I have to go look that up <laughs> from my memory but anyway uh, which would make sense if it was tetic you, you might often see it elef uh, mem zedek but um but occasionally they'll put that yad in there between the mem and the zedek because it's about right righteous righteousness makes might elef is that relationship between god and man again and mem is the flow and righteousness. And of course, what are we supposed to be seeking? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. But the righteousness amongst Israel aren't really that righteous. They're not, that's what he's saying. That they're not, the righteous amongst Judah is not really that righteous. I mean, they went and got a king because they rejected God. That's not righteous. You know, they, they wanted Saul really to be their commander in chief. That's what he was really hired to be, but then that kind of made him the king and then, then he started forcing offerings of the people in order to support his military, which was Samuel said was foolish, and because of that his kingdom wouldn't stand, and of course his kingdom didn't stand. And even David was going to start that, but he repented of it. You guys do it regularly, and then you're wondering why you got a mess, and you think, oh, well, we just get a different king, and then everything will be okay. I mean, they were doing that in Rome after uh, Nero and a few of those guys, Hadrian and. Trajan, but they, they got to a point where they were having a different emperor every month. <laughs> it's kind of the join the emperor of the month club. And every time you got a different emperor, the other one had to get killed and his family annihilated and start over again because you didn't want him coming back and getting anybody to support him. So, you know, it got to be pretty chaotic, just to say the least. But if you if you go back and you look at that that word that is supposed to be elef mem tzedek, they have the they add the extra yod in there between the mem and the tzedek, and uh, they also put a vav at the beginning because these these are not really the strong. These are separated from that which makes you strength, which is righteousness. So, anyway, to see that and to understand that and how that works is uh, is uh, important. And you would see it if you were actually reading, or you could see this, let's put it that way, because it's not a guarantee, if you were actually reading it in the uh, Hebrew. They have uh, the, the men of might, he says, are naked. And see, that's where they also have this, where some translate it, the men of might. And that's a word that uh, normally is only a few uh, letters long. Uh, gimel, be it, vav, resh. Strong or mighty men. But uh, in the this text, we've got Again, that letter, be it at the beginning, be it Gimel, and then be it again, and then Vav, and then Resh. 
And they ended again with Yad Mem. And so you see this pattern showing up in the way he's using these letters. That it's not righteousness that is flowing through the community, but unrighteousness. Because the people are living living covetous ways. Now, in Judah, they had set up a covetous way with the kings and princes. But in Israel, they were just covetous and slothful. And put money before the poor. And in a time of affluence, they were not strengthening the poor. They were weakening the poor and using the poor. Taking advantage of the poor. And the poor, of course, is anybody who doesn't have as much as you do. So... That was not a good thing. They were slothful in the ways of righteousness. They had forgotten. This is the key. They had forgotten the covenant of brotherhood. Which is what Christ taught. And what we'd like you to learn. And what, why we do all these programs and do all these. You know, I, I've laid a lot of this stuff out. And uh, you can look a lot of it up yourself. But we've laid it out at preparingyou.com. Uh, you go to preparingyou.com and you can join the network, which is just an email network. But then you can get in touch with one another, exchange phone numbers, and start forming these free assemblies, these congregations of record, where you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start creating that daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity. And then your young men will be a part of an actual viable militia, that can be there if there's flood or there's fire or there's famine or there's COVID. <laughs> whatever whatever disaster that is uh, created by nature or by man. And you can actually start helping one another. And if you start doing that and walking in forgiveness and walking in, in love, like you, the early church, then you can become as, as, as inspired as Amos... And start doing the righteousness of God. Now, during that loaves and fishes where God saw that the people sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and blessed them with the daily ministration of their sharing, that was evidently one of the festivals of Israel. It was probably a fall festival, just judging by the color of the grass that they mentioned in there. And it was an assembly. And so, I mean, you got to remember, Jesus was Jews. All the apostles were Jews. And so, at the Feast of Tabernacles, they they go out in the country and they all camp out for a week. Well, that's on a particular day if you're going by the lunar calendar. But if you're going by the lunar calendar, they're doing that simply because they wanted a full moon during this period because they're all camping out. And uh, they got to be able to find their way to the outhouse. Well, we have electricity right now, and we're in the high desert, and we have a thing called the Burning Bush Festival, which takes place the first weekend of September. And we do it in the first weekend of September rather than going by the lunar calendar, so that if you want to go, we know guys who would come here, and then they would go to someplace else that were having it on the same festival on a different day, (laughs) which is okay. You know, uh but the fact is, because we're in the high mountains and sometimes people come from as far away as New York or even Australia, we have uh, uh, set it up so that uh, it's a little bit earlier in the year. Because uh, sometimes you can get uh, freak storms later in the fall. We, we're not in Israel. We're 4,000 feet plus. 
in the high deserts of Oregon. So if you want to come to the Burning Bush Festival, you can go to Preparing You and look up Burning Bush. You can go to uh, uh, BurningBushFestival.org, I think it is, and uh, find out about it. Uh, but best thing you should do is join the network and get to know us and uh, start forming those congregations. And then you can come to the Burning Bush Festival. We got... We're still having it here at the place where, I, where my office is, and and but uh, if we get enough people, we will have it out on the church property, and we're improving things all the time so that we can have it out there. And uh, but the key thing is, is that you start doing what Christ commanded and sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start learning how to take care of one another with faith, hope, and charity, because we know you know how to do it through force, fear, and fealty. Because that's the way all the world has gone after. And that's, of course, why the whole world has fallen prey to a fake pandemic, which is setting you up for a real pandemic. But one of the interesting things about Amos, and he will talk a lot in chapters 3 and 4 about famines and all this stuff. But then there's a punchline at the end. And we will eventually get to that. It may take us nine weeks total if we're doing two hours on each chapter. We may get through some of the chapters a little quicker. But uh, uh, there's a punchline at the end that Amos is telling us just how poetic he is and what he's trying to say. Because we're dealing with principles. We're dealing with spiritual principles that are built into creation. You can't escape them, whether you're an atheist or a Jew or a Christian or a Seventh-day Adventist or... Uh, Baha'i faith or yoga or I can't think of all the different or Sikh. It doesn't matter whatever you are. You can't escape the built-in consequences of creation. If you go a certain way, your society will go a certain way and the consequences will follow. Because we live in a cause and effect universe and Amos is telling you what the cause and effects are. He's, he's actually comparing Israel to a dog in a cage waiting for his end. You wouldn't know that from reading the English translation, but we will show you that in the Hebrew <laughs> before we're done. And that's where you're at. You're not only a dog in a cage, many of you were wearing surgical masks. <laughs> and you couldn't help it. I actually talked to somebody the other day, doesn't believe in the injection, doesn't believe that it's a real pandemic. This is a guy in the medical field. He actually takes care of people in, in the medical field. But uh, he's in his 40s and his wife is, I guess, not far from his age. But they, they wanted to go on vacation outside of the country. And so they went and got the shot. He knows it's a fake. Uh, he, what he doesn't know is maybe the consequences of that. But he was willing to do it. Maybe his wife encouraged him, I don't know. But he, he went and got the shot. Even though, you know, top scientists say, don't get the shot. You will be contributing to the decimation of the human population. That's a quote. Decimation of the human population. So I repeat that here in this show. By the time many people hear this show, they will know whether or not that actually is the case. I don't know for sure. I know I don't want the shot for sure. I know I don't want my 
kids and my grandkids to take the shot, for sure. And because I love my neighbor as myself, I don't want to see your kids and grandkids take the shot. Uh, but it may not even be safe if you get the shot and be around your kids and grandkids. So, what you really need to know is is God, the real God. Not the image of God that I can create in your mind with lots of words and catechisms, etc., but the actual real God. In order to know that, you have to really know yourself. You have to know the truth about yourself. And the truth is, you're a sinner. The truth is, you have not lived and walked in the Spirit of the Most High. You've walked in your own imagination and often walked in darkness. At least you've been sitting in darkness. But now we're trying to bring to you the light that all these prophets were warning you of the same consequences that are built into creation. If you covet your neighbor's goods, you will become human resources. You will become merchandise. If you continue in that practice, you will curse your children. If you continue in that practice three times, you will dig your way into hell. It may not show up right away. It may seem comfortable as you're digging, but it will show up. But as you've done this three times, even four, destruction will be upon you because something wicked this way comes. And it's, you're drawing the wickedness to you. You're drawing yourself into the ways of wickedness. Because you're not actually extending this life, laying down this life for others in the name of Christ. So that you can pick up your life more abundant. You're draining your opportunities away by every moment you waste. Stop procrastinating. Sit down. Somebody wrote me just the other day. Said he'd been listening to me for 10 years. And and now he was financially strapped. He, and he's setting out. He's never joined a congregation. He's never sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. One of the only places that Christ commanded us to do something. I mean, obviously, we should be loving our neighbor as ourselves. And what better way to do that than sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start saying, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least watch out for this nine other families and do what I can for them, as feeble as I am. And I'm also gonna get a minister who's going to sit down with other ministers, nine other ministers, so that I am connected to ninety other families." In a network of love and charity. That's what we're telling you. To do that. Try that for a change. But people are resistant. They say, oh no, I don't, I don't want to do the love, open charity thing, you know. I want to, I just want to read my Bible and think that I'm saved. Because if I think I'm saved, then I'm saved. You think? <laughs> I don't think so. And Amos is telling you, no, you're not. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, no, you're not. Because your Corbin is making the word of God to none effect. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. I'm going to give it to some to bear fruit. And the only way to bear fruit is to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And if you do, what's wrong with sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so you can do it efficiently?
and do it according to the ways of Christ. Because all these other preachers, they're not teaching you this. And they're getting rich. I don't want to get rich. If I suddenly got rich, I would make myself poor. <laughs> so that, so that, uh, I could, it would just be an opportunity to lay down my life more abundantly. So, join us on the network at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Join the email groups. Start finding out the other people in your area because it's based on geography. And maybe we'll see you at the Burning Bush Festival come this fall. God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.